Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm a home decor overspender. Hi, Joe. I made a breakthrough. I found HomeSense. It's unreal. So many brand name sofas. I bought one. Oh, wow, really? It's okay. The price is so low. Lighting, unexpected. Rugs, handcrafted. Wall art, eclectic. I go back like every week. <gasps> no, it's always different. New unique decor, same great savings. Every time you go. Field trip. HomeSense, standout pieces, outstanding prices. Happy Monday, everyone, and we're Tuesday now. I'm recording this on a Monday, but it is going to be Tuesday when you listen to it. Anyways, I hope you had a great weekend. I am a day late on this Promenade Middle East update, but I had a bit of a bad reaction to the vaccine. Still just so grateful to have gotten it, so grateful to be done for now, except for if there are booster shots, which just came out in the news this week as well. But we're not focusing on that. We will be focusing on the Middle East news. So as you may know by now, my name is Megan Cohen, and I'm your Promenade Middle East correspondent. Let's get started with the news out of the region for this week. So we're going to start off talking about Iran, which I feel like we always do. We always start off with Iran, but there are always, especially in the past few weeks, so many important updates to go over. So the EU this week imposed sanctions on eight Iranian militia commanders and police chiefs, including the head of the IRGC, Hossein Salami, over the deadly crackdown against the 2019 protests. While the West claims that the death count was upwards of 1,500, Iran claims that that number is fake news and called sanctions invalid. This is the first time the EU has imposed human rights-related sanctions on Iran since 2013. In response, Foreign Ministry's spokesperson Khatib Zadeh said that the Islamic Republic would suspend comprehensive talks with the European Union, especially in regards to terrorism, drugs, and refugees. The threat does not apply to the JCPOA talks, however, which are set to resume today, Tuesday, in Vienna. Next, let's go through some updates on the Natanz attack, which had literally just happened last time we talked. In fact, I delayed the last week's episode a few hours literally just to talk about this, but now it has developed further, so here are some updates on that. Foreign Minister Zarif formally blamed Israel this week and warned that Iran will not allow the country to influence the negotiations and that the Islamic Republic will respond. According to a media channel, Zarif told officials that, quote, Zionists want to take revenge on the Iranian people for the success in the path of lifting the oppressive sanctions, but we will not allow it and we will take revenge for these actions, end quote. Iran's nuclear energy chief Salehi held that enrichment at Natanz had not stopped after an emergency power system was launched and described the incident as an act of nuclear terrorism. However, anonymous U.S. and Israeli intelligence sources say otherwise, claiming that the attack actually set back Iran's nuclear program by nine months. Although it is not 100% confirmed that Israel was involved, they have actually been relatively open about it, with many officials hinting at involvement. On Tuesday, the Minister of Foreign Affairs in Iran announced that the country will start 60% uranium enrichment and add an additional 1,000 centrifuges at the Natanz plant in response to the attack. We'll see how the international community responds to this escalation next week after the talks in Vienna resume. Iran also named a suspect in the Natanz attack, a 43-year-old man from Kashan named Reza Karimi. 
Moving to some maritime tit-for-tat now, and a probable retaliation for the Savias incident last week, Israeli-owned Hyperion Ray was struck by an Iranian missile near Fujairah. The vessel is reportedly lightly damaged, but no casualties were reported, and while the ship is Bahamas-flagged, it is partially owned by the Israeli Ray Shipping Company, which, by the way, if the names Hyperion Ray or Israeli Ray sound familiar, it's because the company also owns a ship called the Helios Ray, which was hit by Iran in February. And Israeli security official told the New York Times on Tuesday that Israel does not intend to retaliate as they are trying to reduce tensions. According to Deb Kafail, an Israeli military intelligence site, Israel was approached by Saudi King bin Salman and Emirati Sheikh bin Zayed about removing the threat to their oil shipping at the Red Sea, aka the Saviz. However, the Israelis were not told that the Saudis and the Iranians were to hold very under-the-table but direct talks only a few days later, which led Israel to believe that the Saviz attack was used by the Saudis as leverage. These talks were first reported by the Financial Times, which quoted two regional sources and an Iranian official, and the meeting was apparently held in and requested by Iraq, but focused on Yemen. Much shorter Iran updates for today. This is the last one. IRGC Deputy Quds Force Commander Mohammed Hosseinzadeh Hejazi died at 65 on Sunday due to an apparent heart condition. The IRGC said he was martyred, and IRGC spokesman Sharif said that the main contributing factor of Hejazi's death was a chronic condition caused by his exposure to chemical weapons in the Iran-Iraq war. Now, the Iran-Iraq war has cast an immense shadow on Iranian politics and international relations to this day, and this is no exception. Moving on now, President Biden announced that he is planning to withdraw all American troops, currently a force of 2,500, from Afghanistan by 9-11 this year. NATO Chief Stoltenberg supported Biden's aim and will pull 7,000 coalition troops out by the 9-11 deadline as well. Of course, this opens Biden up to criticism in terms of counterterrorism, since these forces were in Afghanistan for that purpose, and human rights as the Taliban are still a menace to the civilians of the country. This is a sign of wider policy direction of deprioritizing, if that's the word, the Middle East, in favor of great power threats like Russia and China. In fact, keep an eye on the Vienna talks this week as well, as tensions in Russia escalate. If the Biden administration truly sees the world in more zero-sum terms, it is highly likely that they could go a bit more lenient on the Vienna talks in order to focus more on Russia. President Biden also announced a drawdown of troops in Iraq, noting that the U.S. will still provide training to local forces for counterterrorism purposes. There also was a string of escalation in terms of Iran-backed Iraqi militia attacks on U.S. bases in the country this week. On Wednesday, a drone attack targeted coalition forces near the Erbil airport in northern Iraq. While there were no casualties, one building was damaged in a fire. On Sunday, several rockets hit the Balad military airbase in Iraq, which hosts U.S. contractors. Two foreign contractors were wounded, one of whom was in serious condition, and three Iraqi soldiers were also wounded. There was no reported material damage to the base, but since President Biden took office, there have now been about 20 bomb or rocket attacks targeting American or coalition bases. Moving to Yemen now, heavy fighting in the last government stronghold in the north of Yemen, called Marib, left 96 dead mid-last week. One government military source said 36 loyalist forces and 60 rebels were killed. Going now to some increased tensions between Israel and Gaza, on Thursday, a projectile from Gaza landed in southern Israel, breaking weeks of relative border calm. Coincident, or okay, not so coincidentally, Thursday was also Israel's Independence Day, which is 
probably why it was targeted. There were no reports of casualties, however. Israel responded early Friday morning with airstrikes on Hamas targets, specifically a weapons manufacturing site, weapons smuggling tunnel, and a military post. Then Hamas retaliated again with a second strike on the south, which also landed in a clear area with no injuries or casualties reported. There was also escalation in the West Bank this week as a Palestinian motorist attempted a ramming attack on Israeli checkpoint guards. Palestinian media reported that the motorist died after the soldiers shot at him and his wife sustained bullet wounds to her back. Clashes also broke out on Sunday between Arab and Jewish residents of Yaffa after an anti-Semitic violent attack on a rabbi who was violently kicked in the head. The police arrested the two perpetrators of the attack, but the city soon fell into disarray. And in East Jerusalem, too, there were riots as well. According to Palestinian media, at least four have been injured, and a probe has been opened to investigate a video of an Israeli officer striking a detainee. On Sunday, Israel and Greece formally signed an extensive 22-year-long military agreement that includes a $1.65 billion contract to create and staff a training center for the Greek Air Force. The two air forces also held joint exercises in Greek airspace on the same day. The announcement came after a meeting that also included the Cypriot and the Emirati foreign ministers. And speaking of the Emiratis, the Biden administration revealed that it will go through with the $23 billion weapons sale to the UAE, which was agreed upon during the Abraham Accords negotiations under President Trump. The deal includes 50 F-35 Lightning II fighter jets and 18 MQ-9B Predator drones, plus more basic munitions. The equipment is expected to be delivered in 2025. Next, Egypt announced the execution of three suspected Islamic State-affiliated terrorists accused of killing members of the Coptic Christian community in the Sinai Peninsula. It's really not so much of an accusation, though, as it literally did definitely happen, because a video was released and spread on Telegram of the terrorists shooting members of this minority community point-blank, criticizing them for supporting the Egyptian military and government. Remaining in Egypt, at least 11 were killed and over 100 injured after a huge passenger train accident north of Cairo. At least four wagons ran off the tracks. This is only one of a few recent train accidents in Egypt, and actually they are quite common if you look into it. Last week, train carriages derailed in a Nile Delta province and at least 15 people were injured. And on March 25th, two passenger trains collided, killing 18 and injuring 200. Prosecutors found gross negligence by railway employees to be the cause of the March 25th deadly crash. In Syria, about 200 terrorists, well, according to the Russian definition of terrorists, were killed after the Russian Air Force struck a site including an ammunition depot and a bomb-making facility in the northwest. The kind of sketchy part about this and the reason I kind of made a quip at the Russians earlier is they didn't actually say which group the site belonged to. Turkey reported its highest daily jump in COVID-19 infection rates and death tolls since the pandemic began last Wednesday. 58 of the country's 81 provinces are still listed as red zones, including the capital Ankara and the biggest city, Istanbul. And finally, Bahrain released 166 prisoners out of the 199 that they promised to due to protests over the high COVID-19 rates in jail. The rest of their sentences will be carried out via electronic monitoring. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to Promenade Middle East and for just staying informed in general. I'm your Middle East correspondent, Megan Cohen, and I will talk to you again next week. Every day, thousands of hackers try to steal your crypto. But Arculus uses air-gapped technology by forming a protective barrier that insulates you from hackers and secures your crypto. 
Order yours at GetArculus.com.